So this morning, I was going off to get my morning coffee. Turns out, no Nutella donuts. Not one in the cafe. First, first big red X for my day-to-day was that. Absolutely spewing. So that wasn't a good start today, but I was hopeful. I was hopeful it was going to get better. But then, pull out of the cafe, traffic. Traffic yet again on the Central Coast Highway. Such a disappointment. Double spewing. Then I finally get to church. I finally get some relief. I sit down. I chill out in the foyer. I'm just doing some fine-tune to this talk I'm giving to you guys tonight. And then kids burst in. And they start making a lot of noise. They're chucking seat cushions everywhere and just make an absolute mess. And it was devastating. Completely ruined my morning. I've got it pretty tough, guys. I've got it pretty tough. Now, don't you guys hate it when people complain when they've got nothing to complain about? Just like what I did just there. I just illustrated my point. Don't you hate that? Have you guys ever been that person, though? Like, be honest. Have you ever been that guy? Maybe you were complaining about the surf not being big enough. Maybe the Froco machine's broken at Macca's. Maybe, um, maybe you just got piled up with a lot of assignments and you've got to do them on the weekend. This kind of, this kind of complaining is pretty standard for us, eh? But when it comes to the small stuff, we, we actually really don't have that much to complain about. We have time to hang out in the surf, we have money to buy drinks, and we've got schools that teach us well. But these Israelites in numbers, though, now, they've been wandering in the desert now for over a year. If anyone's got something to complain about, it's going to be them. Imagine that, camped out in the desert for a year. You wouldn't need a fake tan. Just have a little crusty orange dust rocking all year round. You wouldn't need to get that fake tan bottle out. It'd be great. Now, but honestly, these guys, I reckon, might have, of anyone, legit reasons to complain. But if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you would know the answer to that question is no. If you've been with us for these last three weeks, you know that these guys are camping out in the desert, but they're camping out in the desert with the God of the universe. He's actually there with them, protecting them and leading them in a big cloud of fire. Plus, he's making these three big promises amongst them. You guys probably know what these are. First of all, he's making uh, this land happen. That's it. Land. They're heading towards this awesome promised land. The second thing, the second promise he's getting going is nation. He's growing them into a big, powerful nation. And the third thing is blessing. He's going to make, uh, he's make things go well for them as they head into this promised land. Even though these guys are in the desert, they actually have it pretty great. But tonight in God's word, we're only going to hear them complain and accuse God of letting them down. How crazy is that? This sort of thing has been happening for the last 10 chapters of Numbers, if you've been reading along. First, they complain about having no meat to eat. So God gave them meat, but then they were greedy about it, so he punished them. Next, they complained that they weren't strong enough to take over this land that God said they were going to take over. So God punished them again, and it's getting pretty real now. This time, God has sentenced them to 40 years wandering in the desert until the rebellious generation, the adults at the time, had all died out. It's only their kids now that are going to inherit the promised land. And that brings us to tonight's passage. Despite God punishing Israel's lack of trust and their complaining the whole way through this book, we have Israel again complaining, and it gets real. Tonight, we get snakes on a plane. Do you get it? Reference to the popular Samuel L. Jackson title, yeah, snakes on a plane. 
crushed it. All right. So we see Israel yet again complaining to God, and this time snakes get involved. The big reason these punishments keep coming is because Israel keep failing to remain faithful to their good and faithful God. But here's what I want you guys to be looking for as we read this passage. Are you someone who's blind to God's faithfulness? Israel's fail, fail in big ways in this passage tonight, but, we are, but are we failing God in the same way? Complaining about the small stuff in life and not realizing the big picture of God's goodness to us. This isn't just a story about Old Testament people who didn't get who God was. No, no, these are people that would wake up in the morning, look out their tent and see the living God right there. They were people like us who knew plenty about God, but can still be incredibly unfaithful to that loving God. So tonight, I hope this passage will stop us being as blind as these Israelites are to their sin and help us be more faithful to our always faithful God. The danger for us is if we let this sin go unchecked in our lives, we won't realize it's drawing us away from God. So before we jump into the passage, why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just ask now that you'd help us as we look at your, um, your history, as we look at the history of your people and how you were faithful. Help us to see our own unfaithfulness as we see the Israelites struggle to follow and trust in you. Please be changing us and showing us the areas of our lives where we are being unfaithful, where we are sinful. And please help us to change to be more like your son Jesus as we look into your scriptures tonight. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So if you've got your Bible open, we're getting back in there now. So the first thing I want to point out to you guys tonight is like Israel, we can be blind to see how good God is. So take a look at verse 4 and 5 if you've got your Bible open. Starting at verse 4. It says here, They travelled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. So these guys are trekking around a mountain in the desert. Why? Because they're on their way to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey and heaps of good stuff. Sounds good, right? But we hear Israel complaining about food and wanting more water, even when God has been meeting their needs the whole way through numbers so far even when God has been meeting their needs every single day. It's hard to believe. It's ridiculous, but this is pretty standard for Israel. Did you notice how far their complaining went in verse 5? Take another look. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? These Israelites are shaking their fists at God, saying, How dare you, Moses? How dare you, God? Why did you free us from slavery and abuse in Egypt? These guys are crazy, but that's what they're saying. They're saying, we might have been slaves in Egypt, but at least we had a choice of stone, fruits and salad there. Thanks, God, for rescuing us from a great selection of food at dinner time. How ridiculous are these guys being? How would God answer that? These guys are crazy. He's already told them countless times why he rescued them out of Egypt. In Egypt, they were slaves. So God rescued them and began, began fulfilling his three awesome promises to them. Land, people, and blessing. That sounds awesome, Israel. How are you complaining about it? I think it's simple, guys. Because Israel are hungry and thirsty now. Israel are blinded 
by their immediate struggles to see God is slowly but faithfully fulfilling his awesome promises to them as they march through the desert. They are too short-sighted to see this big picture. They are blind to see how good God is. If they would just remember what God had in store for them, they, might have, they would have no reason to complain. But instead, with hungry bellies, they complain about their saving God. I reckon Israel is a little bit like a kid complaining in the back seat of the car on the way to Disneyland. You know, they're going to some awesome place, but they can't help complain about how boring and uncomfortable the car trip is. But they don't realise that the boring car trip is actually a good thing. It means they'll eventually turn up to Disneyland. But little kids struggle to see the bigger picture of things. They live in the here and now, so they'll often behave the worst on car trips even when they're headed to someplace awesome. In the same way, Israel don't realise how good God is being to them because they are blinded by the here and now. But don't we do the same? Like, how often do we think we actually have it tough when we don't? Maybe we think, oh, we've got it hard and we don't have a car and we can't get along to the things our mates are doing and we miss out. Maybe we feel hard done by because we don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, but we'd like one. Maybe you feel like you're not as smart as the other kids in the class and you have to work really hard when other guys, they just cruise through and they wing it. Maybe you have to work really hard at a couple of jobs to pay for a bunch of stuff, but then your other mates, their parents just pay for everything for them. They don't have to work at all. Or maybe your struggle is that you're gluten-free. What are the things you guys need to put back into perspective, into the perspective of looking at the goodness of God? Because, guys, we don't want to let these things be reasons to grumble to God. Here's another thought. Are we positioning God against us because hard things are happening to us and around us? So sometimes we might be feeling incredibly lonely and isolated. Maybe we're in pain and we're struggling. Maybe a guy or girl has turned us down or maybe we've had a breakup. Maybe you've lost someone you love. These things suck and can seriously hurt. We need to make sure we don't make God our enemy as though we deserve more when already we know how much God has given us and what he's offering in Jesus. My last thought is here, how often do we fail to do the good things we should do? Now, Israel's failure in this story is they complained about their small but real struggles in the desert. For some of us here tonight, we're lucky enough not to have struggles like them. How then are we making sacrifices for others that might cost us some comfort but really good for others. We have it so good, why aren't we making things better for other people? Don't be blinded by your circumstances, guys, so, so you can see and respond to God's goodness to us. That's the first thing we learn from this passage tonight. We, like Israel, can be blind to how good God is. Second thing I want you guys to get is we can be blind to see how bad our sin is. Israel were blind to their sin and God shows them just how bad it is in the size of his punishment. Have a look at verse 6, guys. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. So here we are, we're at the snakes on a plane. Just imagine for a second how terrifying this would be. Who here doesn't like snakes? Yeah. Now, we know from the book of Numbers that there were possibly millions of Israelites wandering through the desert. So for heaps of snakes to be terrorizing the whole camp, that must have been thousands, possibly millions of snakes coming down on the camp. 
That seems like a crazy big punishment, yeah? All they did was complain to God. Why is he sending thousands of snakes? Have you ever thought when someone's, someone's complaining, they deserve to have a thousand snakes cast upon them? Seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Seems like this is overkill from God, sending something so terrible. But from what we know about God, he's always good and just. We get a bit of this cheeky knowledge from Deuteronomy 32 verses 3 to 4. I'll just read it out for you guys. It says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, who praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. So God is perfect, always good, always just. That means if he's laying down this punishment on Israel... It's actually justified, which means this punishment fits the crime, even if the punishment is thousands of killer snakes. God is showing us in his judgment of Israel just how bad their sin is. And wasn't it? In their complaining, they were being unfaithful to the always faithful God. They complained to one another, we would rather be back in Egypt as slaves than be on the, on the path God has put us on. Do you see how deeply wrong that is? God has been their deliverer, their saviour, their provider, and now they're saying, send us back to our slave drivers. They are denying God. Therefore, this punishment is an overkill. This passage is a reality check for us, showing us what our sin deserves. We need to be careful, guys. We don't think of our sin as insignificant, that our unfaithfulness is insignificant. This is, this is what brought the snakes upon Israel in this story. Our sin, even the sin we think is small and insignificant, deserves death. We might think that's overkill, but death is what our sins deserve. It's like if a, if a cockroach flew in here and landed on that seat right there, and I just got out a jackhammer, and I destroyed the whole row of seats and with it that cockroach. What would you guys think? Overkill? Just trying to kill a cockroach? Yeah? What if I told you that cockroach murdered my family? And I think it'll kill again. Would you then think the jackhammer thing was overkill? Nah, maybe, okay, maybe you think Sally's a bit overreacting, but his actions fit the crime because that's a killer cockroach, right? As we read this terrifying account of God sending killer snakes on Israel, we see the just punishment that fits Israel's crimes. What we need to see tonight is that the punishment poured out on Israel and that ridiculous punishment I hypothetically inflicted on the cockroach, that is the gravity of the punishment we deserve for our sin. This passage is a warning about our unfaithfulness and our sin. Don't let your first reaction be like, ah, oh, but my sin isn't that bad. No, this passage is a warning from God because in His mercy, He withholds us from this serious judgment in the forgiveness in Jesus. You see, God has mercy on people deserving death. We would think twice about sinning if we remembered before we sinned the punishment that fits this crime. I reckon if Israel knew killer snakes were going to come, on, come upon them if they complained, I reckon they'd think twice about complaining. But just like Israel, we continually fail and stumble into sin. So like Israel, we can be blind to see how bad our sin is. So how should hearing this warning impact us? Well, I want to give you a, a couple of points. First of all, we won't let sin stick around in our lives. 
Knowing the punishment for sin, we shouldn't then be happy for any sin to be sticking around in our lives. We should be fighting to weed out the sin in our lives, knowing how much it offends God. Even though through Jesus we are forgiven by God, we won't take his goodness and his mercy for granted. The second thing it'll lead us to do is we'll hate our sin, big or small. It's hard to believe that the thing that Israel's did wrong at the beginning of this passage was just complain. But not only did they complain, they insulted God and failed to see his goodness to them. This story needs to remind us that our sin is sin. That there are not more there are not sins that are more okay than others. No, God hates all sins whether we think they're big or small, so we need to do the same. And the third thing that this passage teaches us is why our sin is so terrible. This passage reminds us it's not the bad thing we do that makes something particularly sinful. It's who we've sinned against that makes it so evil. I would imagine none of us would throw a bucket of snakes at someone that just complained. We wouldn't just come up to one of our siblings and just go, bucket of snakes, you're complaining. No, we wouldn't do that. (laughs) But God's punishment for the Israelites complaining is as severe as that because their complaining is a sin not against us but against God. And that in reality is what all our sin is, a rejection of God's plan and rule for our lives. This passage reminds us why sin is so terrible. This is not, however, how the story ends. God shows us he's far more faithful and gracious than we can even imagine. This is my third point tonight. God provides ways to be saved even when we don't deserve it. Even though these people didn't deserve another rescue from God, God shows us he delivers on his promises and is more loving than we can possibly imagine. Take a look at verse 7. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So here the people are coming to Moses, their representative who can talk to God for them. And they plead for forgiveness from God. So Moses goes ahead and he prays for them. Look at what happens in verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So God provides a way for them to be saved. God tells Moses to make a bronze snake, to put it on a pole, and anyone who looks up at it will live, even if they've been bitten. God doesn't leave Israel to die as their sin deserves, but he, he has mercy and offers a way out. It's a weird way involving a bronze snake, but did you guys catch the whole point of the bronze snake thing? Israel were told all they could do to be saved was to look at it and live. Look at it and live. That means you couldn't earn your life back. That means being a good, a good person wouldn't get you off the hook either. But you had to simply look and rely completely on God's power to save you and then you'd live. All they could do was look and live. They could in no way deserve forgiveness. They just had to rely completely on God for mercy. God provides a way for Israel to be saved even when they didn't deserve it. And it didn't take anything on Israel's part. All it took for them was to look and live. Which brings me to my last point and where this passage lands for us tonight, guys. We need to get this. 
we need to look and live as well. Not at a bronze snake in the desert, but at Jesus. If you've got your Bibles open, I want you guys to start moving forward to um, Gospel of John. Head forward to the book of John, chapter 3, verse 14. And we're going to see how we need to look and live as well. John, chapter 3, verse 14. These are, these are the words of Jesus speaking about the new way for us to now look and live in the New Testament and our promised land that is coming to us that's different from Israel's. John three fourteen. It says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So just as Moses lifted up the snake on the pole in our passage tonight, Jesus was lifted up on the cross as the ultimate way to be saved. There is no other. Looking at the bronze snake in the desert was a temporary way for the Israelites to be saved from God's judgment through snakes. It didn't last though, and those guys eventually died. However, Jesus being lifted up on the cross, he has taken look and live to a whole new level. We don't look to just a symbol of God's faithfulness, like in the desert. Now we look to the very Son of God sent into the world to save us. Jesus willingly went to his death on the cross to pay the price for our sins. We deserve something like death by snake in the desert to pay the price for our sins. We deserve nothing, we, we, we deserve nothing from God, yet Jesus came to make an end to all our sin. He came to die in our place on the cross, so when we look to him, we see our debt has been paid and live. We can be forgiven. But God's goodness has got even better as well. When the Israelites were trudging through the desert, their big hope, the best that they hoped for, was this sweet promised land they were going to wander into. Uh, they didn't, what they didn't know was something bigger was going to happen for those that would continue to be faithful to God. The promise of eternal life was coming in Jesus. That's our promise. Our promise isn't a land with milk and honey or blessing, blessings in this world like the best surfboard or the best friends or the best grades in school. Our promise in this life is that if we look to Jesus who is lifted up on the cross and trust in his power to save us, we will have eternal life. That's why we have no cause for complaining on this journey of life. If you trust in Jesus, you're headed for eternity. So where does that leave us tonight? Well, if you aren't already trusting in Jesus, I want to tell you there isn't anything stopping you from coming to him. Just look and live. Look to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness and turn your life around to live for him. If that's you tonight, I want to, I want to tell you that's awesome if you're keen to put your trust completely in Jesus tonight. And also let a leader know so they can be encouraged and uh, help you through with that. But also, if you're someone who has, been, who has been trusting in Jesus for a little while, I want to encourage you guys with this, to continue looking to Jesus. That's what, that's what brings us life. Not our own efforts, not our own strength, but the power of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And remember, the punishment we're saved from in this passage tonight, we aren't punished as our sins deserve, but saved by Jesus. Let that drive you not to take... God's goodness for granted, but live with his promise of eternal life in clear view. Don't complain. Don't be blinded by the things that aren't going your way in this life. Honour God in everything. 
we began the talk tonight thinking into how we can often complain too often for no good reason. After looking at tonight's passage, I want to encourage you guys to do something completely different. Celebrate each and every day through good times and tough times because of what Jesus has in store for us in eternity. Why don't we give thanks for that right now? Let's pray.